Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 80th episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. 80 episodes like 80 that. Episodes. I, I wasn't expecting that. I actually have 79 written down, yeah. and then I checked. Wow. Number We've done this 80. a lot. Yeah, we have. It's been fun. So far. We're closing in on the 100. Wow. We'll yeah. have to do something big for that. Yeah. Hey, speaking of doing something big. I don't know what. Okay. It's Halloween this week. Halloween is coming up, and we didn't do something big, so let's not speak of doing something big. No, so the time, <laughs> I mean, honestly, snuck it, it snuck up big yeah. time on us. So I think what we're going to do, for those of you who haven't listened to our last year's Halloween episode, we're going to relist that, republish that um, like on it. Saturday or Sunday, whatever day, probably Saturday night. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can take a listen to it again if you have heard it, and if not enjoy it yeah. was fun to do that it was one. fun but it it was just yeah time flies it sure does like i can't believe halloween is yeah. upon us and next is going to be uh thanksgiving, thanksgiving and then christmas and then, and, and then we'll be in the it's episode a week the, realm which somebody did reach out and ask us when we were going to start that again um eventually i, I don't know <laughs> I don't, I want to. It's in the plans. I'm, I want to very badly. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but schedules just aren't quite lining up yet. Yep. Uh, but we yep. will get there this winter, I yep. promise. Well, and we do, it's not something we want to rush into. Mm-hmm. Um, back when we were doing weekly episodes, we had lots of material. Um, True. There's and, a lot more to talk about. Yeah. Now, you know, we're, I don't want to say we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for <laughs> topics, but uh, we're running out of stuff to talk about. So well, that's why we need to start the tri-motor and start working on I that. I know, I know. That'll give us something to yeah. talk about Yep. weekly if we can stay on it. Right. But, so, but anyway. It's coming. Yeah. And then so we'll listen to the Halloween episode Saturday mm-hmm. if you if you haven't, uh, if you didn't hear it last year, give it a listen. Uh, it'll it was still fun. Be, it'll yeah. still be relevant this year. It will. There's there's nothing yearly <laughs> based on that one that wouldn't make sense. So. <laughs> right. Whoa, are you okay? Sorry about that. Yep. <clears throat> um, another thing. This is exciting. This is great news. Kind of. I was so happy. You were so happy. I. It was okay. <laughs> we found the airplane. Well, somebody found the airplane. Oh, well, okay, yes. I, I'm guessing the uh, so the extra 300 that I crashed into the the field and and went into another uh, dimension. Well, it, it, I couldn't find it. It came back because yeah. it got sick in the other dimension, I guess. But no, <laughs> so it, it was found. Um, apparently, they took the corn out, and it was not found in the corn. Right. Um, I would not have believed that it would have flown so far away. That it was in the beans. Uh, however, apparently it was in the beans. Yeah. Only because yeah, so <laughs> when we, we, we did get it back and we, yeah. we kind of took it <clears throat> apart because it, it, it's it's not salvageable. No. Uh, which no, is expected, honestly. Pretty sure the combine ran over it. It looked like it. I'm pretty sure, yeah. But there, but anyway, there were wanna, beans in it. Yeah, I want to back up just a little bit. Um, a big thank you to Reggie, who actually texted us when, uh, when he went, uh, to fly at the field and discovered that it, whoever had found said airplane had uh, collected its remains and put it underneath the awning there at the behind the flight line, which was uh, very thoughtful. And I just wanted to say thanks, Reggie, for uh, shouting out to us and having uh, Ron go out and pick it up. I went out and got it, and that reminds me, poor Reggie. So the day he went out and found that, uh, he actually took air, or two airplanes to fly. I think one of them was his big S-Bach. Mm. And the other one, I think he said was, I didn't see it. I think he said it was a, like a Hangar 9 Mustang or something okay. like that yeah. uh, that was still in the back of his truck. So apparently he forgot 
a piece for the Mustang so he couldn't fly it. Been there, done that. Yeah, but then he spent all the time, because, you know, big airplanes take yeah, a little bit of time, time to put together and get right. it all set up and fueled up and ready to go. Yep. He did that to his SBOC, and then he realized that he left his transmitter on. Oh, dear. The whole morning, the whole way oh, out. Oh, gosh. So he could not tell me fly. He, tell me he didn't try. No, 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 he didn't fly. Okay, good, he, like good. he noticed that it was too low to fly and he, good job. he was um, mature enough not yes. to chance it. I'm sure he wasn't happy. I'm guessing if it was another airplane, cheaper, smaller, that he didn't care about <laughs> as much, he probably would have. Um, well, that's okay too. I mean, smaller airplanes, you know, you make, you go through all that. Of course, a smaller airplane wouldn't have required as much work either. So True. But anyway, so he did not get to fly. He had to spend the time putting it together and then taking, taking it apart. apart. Well, he's getting good at it. Putting so. it back up and <laughs> putting it away. Yeah. Well, I um, mean, I can I can say I've I've been there before. Well, I mean, yeah. made it to the field and forgot a wing tube or a transmitter. Done or that. a battery. I've actually yeah. done that more than once. So. <laughs> <clears throat> it happens. But anyway, so yeah. back to the, the airplane we found. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, post-crash inspection revealed a bean um, a couple beans. Yeah, in, in the wings. Yeah. So, which leads us to believe that it was in the beans which, <coughs> when it was found. According to Google Maps, the beans are about 600 feet away. Man, that, and that, so. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't either. I mean, well, now, granted, I wasn't there, so I don't have that perspective. Of base, I, w- I but, was. But, ba- <laughs> but based on what you told me, mm-hmm. um, and it's not a big airplane. So mm-hmm. 600 feet away, well, it would be 600 plus because I know it wasn't on the edge of the beans. Correct. Because I walked yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked a good you know, five, eight rows, you know, beyond the yeah. corn in the beans. So 600 minimum. Um, at 600 feet, man, that airplane is going to be tiny. Like, yeah, visually. So, you know, <laughs> and I, I've said it before, memory or memories are malleable. That's As you remember true. things, they change, they change every time. So yeah. what I can only figure is that maybe I wasn't as far along in the the final approach curve yeah. as I thought I was to where when I lost it, it was still flying away from me more than I really thought it was flying away from me. And that could that make be, sense? yes, it does. And that could be because, I mean, it would also make sense that, uh, <clears throat> you know, the corn was was obviously at full height. Mm-hmm. So it could have traveled who knows how far once it got below visual line yeah. of sight, you know, the corn as it was going down. So if it was, you know, if you had made the turn and you hadn't fully made the turn to come back to you, thereby decreasing the distance, and you were still kind of on the outbound part of your turn and it went below the corn, yeah, who knows how far it could have gone. Well, and it was like I was flying level with the corn to make that curve. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't actually making a, a, you know, I wasn't lowering the, uh, I wasn't decreasing altitude, the altitude. Yeah. Right. And it just could have gone farther yeah. than any of us really thought. Well, obviously it did because yeah. there's no way I would have guessed that it was in the beans. But anyway. Uh, yeah, we, I, I ruled that out because I was so sure of myself yeah. that it wouldn't have been that so far So Bob away. was right. Bob, if you're listening, you were right. It was in the beans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I hate being wrong, but I admit it when it is because yep. it, it happens. Um, so, and then we, we we went ahead and got it taken apart and, and yep. looked at. There's and a few things I think we can we can salvage. The engine, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, it's a Sato 72. It, I'm pretty sure we can, uh, it'll fly again. Yeah. I mean, it looks bad. have at it. It, it looks is. really bad because I'm pretty sure, um, I mean, I've seen crash damage before, and this is pretty severe for crashing in a cornfield or a bean field. Um, it hit know, the ground hard. It, like it had to have just by 
how much dirt was up on the airplane, how much was just mm. everywhere too. Okay. Well, so. I mean, that could be the, uh, you know, the valve, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the push rod guide tubes are, are both pushed back towards the cylinder. They're bent. Yeah. And, um, and the, the nipple <laughs> on the muffler uh, is broken <laughs> off, you know, where the, you, re, you get your pressure from. And then oh, the, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and then the biggest thing is that the actual back plate that the, you know, the, the piece that comes carburetor. off the back plate that the carburetor bolts to, it was actually busted clean off the back plate. So yeah. pretty it good was, impact. It was a hard hit. But then again, how much of that possibly is from combine damage I too? Think, I think, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say. Either it way, um, it's it's. I'm pretty sure it's fixable. And the really good news is that um, I don't think the crankshaft is bent because you, I can pull it through, you know, 360 degrees, and there's no hitches in it. There's mm -hmm. no like hard spots other than when it comes up on compression. So nothing that I care to do. So, no, I'm gonna. I'm and, totally gonna go through it and like I said, it's yours. In. I no, have. That's not mine. I, but, I have no need for it. Uh, well, it'd be a good engine for the P40. Well, I already have an engine for the P40, and it's it's another <laughs> this would be better. It's another nitro I could really yeah, care okay. less about doing this time. But anyway, maybe maybe we'll yeah. do that. And I'll At have any rate, one yeah, nitro. The engine's gonna live, and I think a few of the servos. I know you. I am. I don't trust them. Like yeah. I, I get it. Okay, they're sealed. They have rubber seals on them. You mm -hmm. took them apart. These are good quality Savox servos, by the way, or Savox or Savox. Savox. How do you have, pronounce it? Well, everybody can do it their own metal way. Metal gears. They're they're metal geared servos, and mm -hmm. there's not a hiccup in any of the gear trains. Uh, there I, is one or two servos that I'm okay with that we just pitched. throwing away. But yeah. yeah, these are good quality Savox or Savex or whatever it is. That just, they've been sitting outside too long for me to be comfortable using them again. So, which which kind of leads into the to uh, the the post-mortem inspection. You know, we powered up the radio mm -hmm. when, uh, when we started taking it apart. Which surprised me that it turned on. Which, by the way, battery gone. Don't know where the battery went. Yeah, it's completely. It's able. somewhere. Yeah, it it's, wasn't with the the wreckage with the carnage, yes, but it was it is uh, MIA. Yeah, so who knows? Who knows? Um, I've, did I take you off topic? Well, I was just thinking about uh, the the crash that I you know years ago the with your the, was that the nemesis? No, nemesis. No. Yeah, it was a nemesis, Seagull nemesis. But the battery departed the airplane before the crash, <laughs> which is actually what caused the crash. And I don't think that's the cause here because the battery was inside the fuselage. I don't think there's any way for it to leave. The now hold on, that was the nemesis that lost the hatch. Mm -hmm. Why did I think? Because the nemesis. No, never mind. All right, I'm a I'm an airplane off. I'm a crash off. I was thinking of the edge. Yeah, the edge was the the, the receiver, receiver, the orange yeah. RX. Yeah, yeah. That's what. Okay, never mind. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but anyway, we powered up the radio, um, and it worked. Everything worked. I'm not um, going to use it. The the receiver. You're not going to use the receiver. I'm not going to any of yeah, that stuff. I'm not going to use the receiver. Uh, and I'm okay with throwing the switch away, even though it appears to be okay. I'm just switches are which stinks because that's an MPI switch. Yeah, I it's like good those, quality but switch. Yeah, I just I don't trust them. Yeah, I there's don't, too many failure points, and I want to make it yeah. as safe as possible. Right. But those Savox or Savex or whatever it is, I, I will have no problem putting those like on a throttle on an airplane. One or thing that I like that, one thing I found maybe. yeah, one thing I found weird though about when we powered up the receiver, um, you brought and I honestly didn't even notice it that the uh, the leads were cut to or the antennas were cut. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Now <clears throat> you did mention that you didn't really I mean the receiver was in the airplane when you got it. It was. So I didn't touch any of that there's stuff. There's no way to know if those were if it so damaged before the crash or I will say if it was damaged the way it was 
when we looked at it before the crash, I would have noticed that because the very end of it was hanging on just by a thread and it was completely like crinkled. Yeah. Um, but the other one looks like it's a semi-clean cut that I don't know if that was beforehand or, or not. Like, I don't know where that receiver started from, if it yeah. was in a crash already, if, you know, right. I don't know anything about yeah, it. because that any of the history. That isn't anything I bought new. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so who knows? Go on. You look like you're ready to say something. Well, I was going to say, but the it's a telemetry receiver. Yeah. So with the DX8, when the when the that... The old Gen 1 DX8. The, <laughs> um, is telemetry capable. So when we turned it off... You know, the, the obviously the voltage at the receiver drops to nil, right? Mm-hmm. And it sends an alarm to the transmitter. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that if that receiver experiences a you know a signal loss or a frame, so many frame, frame drop, yeah, you'll get a you'll get some kind of a warning or on a the, brownout. Exactly, you'll get some kind of a warning on the transmitter as well. I would think. I don't know for sure, but it definitely gave us a warning when the voltage dropped. So. I mean, you I, didn't get any warnings the day of the crash. I had no alarms go off, no. So, I mean, that's one indicator pointing to the fact that maybe this wasn't an electrical issue. Maybe it was a mechanical issue of some kind, which post-mortem, you know, I you know, I looked specifically at the elevator push rods and, and there was some binding in the in that setup. It's not, it wasn't, you know, your fault. It was just a default, in my opinion, of the design you know, those push rods, you know, there was some binding on it. You know, maybe they, maybe one of them went like over center or something on the pull down elevator when you're making the turn or something, or who knows. Yeah. Or I have that no excess idea. binding may have caused excess draw, which you would have gotten an alarm. Would have gotten, yeah. So I don't know. I, we will never know what happened. No. But <clears throat> you got the motor What's back. What's interesting to me, though, also is that did you turn the transmitter off right away after the crash? No. You so you you took we the, left it on because I was going to go out and yeah, try and move the so you didn't get an alarm after mm-hmm. the crash either so that tells me oh, the airplane the, was probably still powered on which means the battery would have still been in it right oh that's weird so I'm again thinking that the combine must have run over it and probably pushed that battery into the dirt when it ran over the airplane yeah God oh wow hmm. so anyway I'm glad it's back I'm glad we have the engine back. Um, yeah, I'm really glad we have the engine back. So I, I know you are. That was that was your main concern. <laughs> it was. So it's here. It's good. You yep. can yep. do whatever you want with it. And yep. we're gonna, this book is closed. We're going to clean it up, and yep, it, the engine's going to live on, <laughs> and the servos, no, some of the servos, on nothing of mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next. Uh, oh, what else? Um, oh, so we had uh, Richard wrote to us. Um, he brought up a, a story we told in episode 76 about a friend of ours who crashed his airplane uh, while flying around a neighborhood. Crashed um, it onto someone's roof. Through through a tree. Well, into so, a tree and then yeah. onto a roof, yes. Um, but anyway, so Richard said, uh, hello, Ron and Tom. I lied. Well, actually, he actually he says, says, hello, Tom, Tom and Ron. And yes, Ron. I know. Tom I, first. I'm used to saying Ron first because, <laughs> you know. Because you're Ron. Because I am me. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> or anyway, he says, hello, Tom and Ron. Thank you. I'm really enjoying your podcast and just recently listened to episode 76, which, by the way, if you're going to write in and ask us about something that we say in an episode, please help us out by telling us the episode. And if it's something we actually say in the episode, maybe give us like a, a timestamp. If oh, it's something you, you want us to actually yeah. 
listen to and respond to because I, I, I went back. Thank you for telling us what episode it was. Yeah. Very helpful. Because I didn't remember what episode it was. And yeah. I was able to go back and kind of figure out exactly what we said on here to make sure that we had um, misspoke. I had misspoken or we had misspoken. But anyway, yeah. so he said that you had mentioned that the uh, the guy crashed his plane into a tree and then it had fallen onto someone's roof. Uh, and we said that it would not be covered by his AMA membership insurance as he was not flying at an AMA club field. Uh, he goes on to say, it's my understanding that he would, at least according to this, and he gives us a link to the... Um, yeah, to the AMA website. The, the well, what is it? The insurance summary that's right. on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my take on that. They give a lot of outs. So technically, yeah, would it be AMA covered? protects themselves <laughs> yeah, several It's times. very legalese. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's written to be uh, fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So just judging by the, the top look down, yeah, it looks like it'd be covered. However, if you read in the, the thing he sent us, which is the, uh, the facts about AMA's insurance benefits, mm-hmm. the third point is applies to accidents arising from the modeling activities of model aircraft, rockets, cars, and boats, in accordance with the AMA National Safety Codes. Yeah, now if you want to boil that statement down into its simplest terms, let's let's read it like this. Applies to accidents arising from the modeling activities in accordance with the AMA National Safety Code. Like if you cut out all the other stuff, the, the qualifying... Part. I was going to say, that's pretty much what I said, but I got you. Okay, I understand you know where you're going now. Like, sure. It would be easy to miss that little point right there, but in accordance with. So... I went and found the AMA uh, National Model Aircraft Safety Code, effective January 1st, 2018. Here's their out. Um, It says, as an AMA member, I agree. The first bullet point, I will not fly a model aircraft in a careless or reckless manner. That's out number one. So So the AMA gives themselves an out by saying, hey, you know what? You were flying your aircraft in a careless and or reckless manner, which so we are not covering. By the way, I would agree with Yeah, flying around the neighborhood to where you could lose your airplane <laughs> of that magnitude of that size that he was flying. Yep. I would consider careless yeah. which, and or reckless, which funny enough is addressed in point number four on the same page. It says, I will avoid flying directly over unprotected people moving vehicles, and occupied structures. Occupied structures, yeah. which and houses would be, house would be an occupied, occupied structure. structure. Yeah. Um, granted, yes, you lost some sort of signal, something happened to the airplane, but still you were close enough to where... Yeah, Com- combine it, that with the first bullet point, mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're pretty much doomed. Oh, but wait, there's more. The very last one. <laughs> I will use an established safety line to separate all model aircraft operations from spectators and bystanders. Yeah. So here so, we go again. So yeah, I mean, three strikes and you're out. So, so I think that is enough to kind of cover yeah. them to make them say, I'm not going to cover it. But I will say that, that Richard is, it, uh, he's right on the money when he says, um, that uh, you know, we mentioned that the guy crashed his plane into a tree and followed into someone's roof would not be covered by AMA membership insurance as he was not flying at an AMA club field. Correct. Yes. But I misspoke. Not, it would not be covered for these other reasons that we just mentioned. Yeah. So, so AMA, Richard, you're right. You're absolutely right. We misspoke, but the end result is the same. <laughs> but probably the, the not reasoning be behind of not being covered, we were incorrect right. in saying why. Exactly. So yes, you can fly other places as long as it is. 
in accordance to their codes, safety codes, and all that kind of stuff. So yes, there exactly we go. Exactly right. So thanks, Richard, for uh, for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. uh, we always appreciate uh, good quality feedback, and that was that was good quality Wonderful. feedback. Yeah. Thank you. It's the kind of stuff that keeps us honest. Uh huh. All right. So we're going to talk about to get on to the main topic today that you will talk about, and I might fall asleep. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I'm not, not going to fall asleep. It's not exciting. It's not glamorous. It's not. Uh, but unfortunately, it's a necessary evil. That's the words I was going to go for. Necessary evil that you mm -hmm. might not be excited to listen to. You might not want to talk about, but mm -hmm. you need to know this. And a lot of our listeners, you know, who fly electrics, do will never have to worry about this topic <laughs> ever. <laughs> you and your wife came out this weekend for, for lunch on Sunday, and we were kind of talking about what to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because she brought up the fact that we should talk about how to do it on an electric airplane so that if you decide to change it over later to, to glow or gas, it's already done. I wish you could have seen your face. I mean, <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. What it look like? But Show me. <laughs> right? I mean, That's pretty so, much exactly right. Exactly it. So why would oh, any, okay yeah well good no go on <laughs> why would anyone take a perfectly good electric airplane and then convert it to gas or glow I agree with that one yeah. however I will I'm going to go over how to fuel proof an electric airplane first um, and then okay. we can move on to glow and gas <laughs> okay um, you don't you don't because electric <laughs> is clean it's so far superior to anything else oh boy. Yeah. Okay. I'm off my soapbox fuel, now. Go on. <laughs> fuel proofing. Fuel proofing. That's the topic, by the way. We didn't say that, but yeah. Oh, fuel yeah. proofing is the is the topic this evening. Fuel. Um, fu fuel. <laughs> fuel proofing <laughs> your airplane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not glamorous and not necessary for electric Electrics, airplanes. No. Um, and I would not advise doing it to an electric airplane just in the off chance that you may convert it to glow someday. <laughs> Uh, even I hope though, she doesn't listen to this. Even though um, it seems like it'd be not a bad idea, um, most most and and the, really the reason is most electric airplanes aren't designed to handle the vibration and the weight of a glow engine. True, anyway, yeah, or gas so. because electric is so so smooth, <laughs> so much smoother, so much. I mean, just streamlined. You know, you can build airplanes I'll lighter. Just, I'll just let you go. <laughs> <laughs> you you can build airplanes lighter and make them just far superior. But any hoozle, go on. Okay. I'm finished. All right. So fuel proofing your airplane. <clears throat> why should you do it? Why why should you do it? Well, fuel has oil in it, right? Mm -hmm. Even even the fuel that we use in our gassers, it has oil in it. It's um, added to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what oil does is it soaks into the wood of the airframe. And it does uh, does nasty things like um, it prevents your beautiful finish or covering from sticking to the wood. Uh, you know, if you have an airplane that's say covered with monocote, and and I know a lot of our listeners have probably experienced this, especially around the landing gear area. You know, the lower part of the airframe where all that goop sort, yeah. of, sort of collects. Um, you know, the covering doesn't stick, and then eventually, you know, you're using super glue or whatever to try to get the covering to stick, you know, to get the airplane, you know, a little more life. But that's because of the oil and the fuel combined with some of the other chemicals that are in the fuel. It breaks down that wood, gets between the wood and the finish and prevents the finish from sticking to the wood. So that's 
one thing that's bad. Does it do anything to the glue on the on the monocoat or on the covering, or is it just the the balsa that gets messed up? I've seen it. I've seen nitro fuel um, mess with the adhesive on some materials. Like monocoat is, uh, I've never seen it get gummy, but I've seen Hangar Nine's uh, Ultra Coat. I've seen it get kind of a gummy mm-hmm. after being exposed to the oil and the fuel. So yeah, uh, not only the airframe, but gummy also the ain't cover. good. Gummy's not not good uh, unless you. Never mind. Uh, so something else that can happen, um, and this is the big one, is it? Uh, there's something in the oil and the fuel uh, that will break down the adhesive that you use to glue your wooden parts together. Uh, and it doesn't, like it's been my experience, it doesn't matter what adhesive you use, be it epoxy, uh, CA, my favorite yellow glue. Or what is that called? Aliphatic resin. There you go. Um, Sig Bond, which is aliphatic resin. Sig Mint, which is actually the old school um, modeling cement. It's like a, I don't even know what's in it, to be honest, but it's kind of similar to plastic model, the glue, like the testers. Oh, yeah. Something, whatever that compound is. They all are affected by whatever is in our nitro fuel. Um, And I I suspect it's probably the oil combined with with the alcohol. Or not the alcohol, but the nitromethane. It breaks down that glue. And it doesn't matter, like I said, it doesn't matter what glue it is. Over time, that chemical combined with the vibration from our engines and things like that does nasty things to glue joints. Uh, the worst of which is, you know, breaks them free. And does it mess with the glue or things. does it mess with the balsa? I mean, like I, well, does it, it soaks, actually... It soaks into the balsa, right? Yeah. And then like, so once the balsa is saturated, it breaks down, I guess, maybe the fiber, you know, with the vibration and stuff, and then the glue loses its grip. Okay. Um, epoxy doesn't break down, but I've seen, like, Sigbon, like the aliphatic resins, I will, I've actually seen that stuff get kind of gummy, too, where the glue joints are. Okay. So it it dissolves or it interferes with the um, adhering properties of the glue, and you lose your glue joints, basically. Your airplane just kind of comes apart. And then the only thing holding and it together... that's not good. Because, yeah, that would be the covering, which then is not going to be sticking for very long if yeah. it's sticking at all. So, yeah. Yeah. So it does it does that. Um, and, you know, also a fuel-soaked or an oil-soaked airplane is heavier than a non-oil-soaked airplane. And when you're only dealing with an airplane that weighs maybe three pounds, an extra half a pound is, you know, a, a large percentage over and above what the airplane weighed originally. So the flying qualities tend to suffer. So your airplane doesn't fly as a good as it did when it was new. Yeah, I guess I never thought soaked. about that, but yeah, that, that's more stuff you're carrying around all the time because exactly. it's impregnating itself into the wood that right. it's just, right. it's there. Yeah. Huh. And I'm not, and I'm not talking specifically just for the fuel. I'm also talking about exhaust residue because there's fuel. Well, there's a lot of fuel. oil, in it. Yeah. a lot of oil in the exhaust residue. So anywhere that that fuel, and I'll get into this in a minute, but anywhere that fuel and that exhaust is going to touch should be fuel proofed or coated in some way. Make sense? It does. So that's Protection. why you should do it. That's always, why you should protect always it. Always protected. <laughs> um, and then there's a few ways uh, that you can um, go about actually accomplishing it. Uh, what I like the best, I like epoxy. Uh, you can thin epoxy with um, isopropyl alcohol, get it to a really thin brushing consistency, and I brush it right on the airframe everywhere Fuel could potentially touch it. Like if you have a, for instance, a fuel tank that leaks, it happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. And anywhere that fuel is going to touch, 
I I give it a good you know a good coating. Um, certainly the the firewall, the front of the firewall, the back of the firewall, all the holes in the firewall ought to be coated as well. So it should all be drilled beforehand yes. before you do that. Yep. Okay. Ideally, it would be like one of the last things you do, with the exception of uh, fuel proofing as you build, which I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, the front side of the firewall, the back side, anywhere the tank compartment, and I like to go ahead and if I can, if I'm not being lazy, uh, I like to go farther back in the fuselage too. Cause you know, if you have an airplane sitting on the gear on the ground, chances are it's in a nose high attitude. And if you're fueling the tank and you have a leaky tank or you have a tank burst, um, that fuel is going to run down the bottom of the fuselage. So I go ahead and give the, you know, the entire bottom of the fuselage a coating. If, like I said, if I'm not being lazy, really? most of the time I'm being lazy, but now does that add a lot of weight or is that kind of well, negligible? That, I'm getting to that, but um, okay, I'm if, sorry. You do it, if you do it right, it adds a negligible amount of weight. And when I say do it right, I mean thin it a lot, right? And what is the the thinning just makes it an actual thinner layer that's easier to spread well, then? Well, most of the thinner will evaporate off, leaving just the solids behind. And if you're starting with a thin mixture, you're not putting a lot of solids on it. You're just putting enough on there to put a coating to protect. Actually, you just want the, the solids to soak into the airframe so that nothing else can soak into the airframe. Make sense? Yeah. So okay. it adds very minimal weight if you if you thin whatever it is you're going to use. Anyway, like I said, I, I like to use epoxy, but you don't have to use epoxy. You can use um, polyurethane, uh, like the regular old clear polyurethane that you can buy at uh, Lowe's or whatever, the water-based stuff. That actually is fuel-proof. A lot of people don't know that. The, the, the trick is, or the key is, you have to let that stuff cure, and it takes a lot of time for that polyurethane to cure. And when I say time, I'm talking like... Days, In weeks. the right conditions, yeah, a week, two weeks. As long as it's fully cured, it will be, I'll say, somewhat fuel-proof. It will be fuel-proof Much better than nothing. For our purposes, yeah, exactly. Um, now, is that, can you use the, are you talking like the, the spray-on kind, the aerosols? You can or use that if you want it? to. I'm not a big fan of the aerosols because you can't control how much thinner is in it. So, But that's usually a lot thinner to begin with. Yeah, but it also has propellant in it, so they can they can get away with making it thicker, thicker, so you can do it in one coat, right? Mm, so okay. I prefer to brush it on. That's just me. And here's another and full strength too, by the way. Uh, the polyurethane I'll thin also, especially okay. the acrylic stuff. You can thin it with water. Oh, handy dandy, right? There you go. Um, here's another little trick. The the um, well, you can do this with epoxy. Well, you can do this with pretty much all of these types of things. You can tint them. So if you want to, let's say. I want my firewall to be black, let's say. Well, I can add black to my epoxy or my polyurethane or whatever with a compatible component and turn it into a kind of a paint. And then I'm doing, you know, you know knocking down two birds with one stone by fuel proofing and also making it the right color. Now, I don't do my entire inside of my fuselage that way, but what, certainly on a firewall. What kind of paint? So if I'm using, well, you can also use latex house paint. Um, Another little trick that a lot of people don't know, latex is actually fuel-proof also. Well, latex paint, I should say. Um, same thing, you have to let it cure. I mean, it takes takes a lot of time for that paint to cure, but it, it will cure eventually. So uh, you can use like a latex black house paint and fuel-proof your, your firewall with it. And if you really want to make it look slick, you can give it a, a light coat of black latex, and then you go over that with a light coat of the epoxy, and then you get the nice shiny glass smooth surface like what you got on the that I complimented you on on the firewall of the 
of the telemaster. telemaster yeah. I'm not sure what the process you used, but uh, it's nice and shiny and glossy. That was regular paint, just like hobby type paint, like uh, I think acrylic or something yeah. like that that I painted on. Yep. And I was happy with that until you saw it and said, you need to fuel proof that. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, this is gas. So what we're talking about is like the craft paint that you bought mm-hmm. like at Michael's or Hobby Lobby or yeah. whatever. Stuff that people use like the acrylic water-based stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said it needed fuel proofing. Yes. Well, I because that's I didn't not fuel proof. I didn't even think about it honestly because <laughs> I do so little with with right. nitro and with that kind right. of stuff that I just yeah. So then yeah. you coated it with. So then it was thin epoxy. Yeah, and I used man, a thirty minute epoxy because I didn't want to awesome. be I didn't want to be rushed. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, thinned yeah. it down with stuff and, yep. and, and it looks mix it and we're good. So anyway, brushed um, it on and it those are, cured. Yep. Those are those are some of the things you can use and like I said the like the clear poly the clear acrylic polyurethanes. Um, I think they're in the, usually in the furniture refinishing section of whatever home, you know, improvement store you happen to go to. Oh, they're with all the stains. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great, that's a great fuel proofer. And then, like I said, you can add, you know, you can add a little bit of tint to it and make it, make it color. That's a, that's a good one to use. And it's not very expensive. Epoxy can get kind of expensive, but uh, it's, in my opinion, the best. That's what I like to use. Well, if you're not doing a lot of it, then I mean, it's really not, it's not that bad price True. wise. Yeah. You're not doing a yeah. whole airframe. Well, and you're going to, and I thin it so much that, you know, just a tiny little bit is usually enough. By the time I thin it, I've got quite a nice volume of it and I've got enough to. So when you say thin it a lot, so let's, let's quantify that. So okay. I know it's going to be hard to say like two to one, three to one, yeah, whatever your, your mixture is, but we know when we mix up epoxy, how thick it is. Like we know how it's viscous it thick, is. It's yeah. very thick. How much do you thin that down? Is there anything you can kind of? I thin like, it to the point where it where it looks like chocolate milk. Okay, good. So you that gives I mean? us all something. It's to, not quite to one percent, but it's whole chocolate milk. Yeah, you know, it it just is a little bit thicker than you know. Well, water. but it's it's still pourable. It still will self level exactly. quickly. It's, yes. Yeah. Unlike, That's about the consistency I'm looking for. Okay. When I when I do it, so. Yeah, so those are some of the things you can use. A uh, little little tip, I use the epoxy brushes, and I trim the bristles back so that they're kind of stiff, and then I use that to to brush on the epoxy. Oh. The, the other paints you can you can you know pretty much use whatever you like, but um, I really like those epoxy brushes because if you use epoxy, it cures nice and hard, and then you can just throw it in the trash and it's safe for the environment. I just used uh, uh, what was it the the foam. The disposable foam yep. brushes, yep. I love those things because you can use them for everything. And you're right, just pitch them when let you're the, done. Yeah, let the stuff cure on yeah. them, and then throw them away, and you're you're good to go. And so. it's like a bag of ten of them is a buck. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't yeah, go wrong. Cheap. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's what you can use. And then you know, I mentioned where where you should do it, um, and I and I touched on it. But as you're building your, let's say, the fuselage. Um, you can do a, actually some fuel proofing before, especially if you're using epoxy. Well, pretty much only if you're using epoxy because <laughs> epoxy sticks to epoxy like nobody's business and sticks really, really well, especially if you rough it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but if, you know, once a fuselage is built, a lot of those areas are kind of hard to get to, especially like on the, you know, in the corners of the inside corners of the firewall where they meet the fuselage or, you know, maybe the, the former aft of wherever the tank is, you know, it's some of those upper corners might be hard to get to. Do yourself a favor and fuel proof those areas before you glue the fuselage together. It's okay. That like once you glue those pieces together, 
I mean, if you're using epoxy especially, it will stick together even though there may be a thin coat of epoxy underneath it. So that's one little trick you can use to to get, you know, fuel proofing where you need it. But not necessarily with CA. Like if you're using super glue. CA sticks to epoxy pretty darn good too. But oh, does it? Yeah. But so it wouldn't like soak into the the balsa though. No, it won't. It'll only stick to the epoxy, which is why you know it's important to rough it to up. To rough it up a little bit. But epoxy on epoxy is is strong, strong stuff. So so I guess I what like I'm saying to, though is you're okay doing it with with the CA glue though. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I've had I've had no issues with that. And um, just what long, about like I said, as long as you know, as long as the it's not a glass smooth surface that you're trying to stick CA to, you know, rough it up a little bit. What about your... Because this epoxy is going to soak into the wood. So if you rough it up on the surface, you're not doing it any harm. What about your aliphatic resin stuff? Your wood Now glue? that, I, I I tend to not do that with that okay. kind of stuff. If I'm going to build my fuselage and I'm being really, really patient, I'll go ahead and take the extra step and just, you know, not have anything in the way of my aliphatic resin for it to do its job and then I'll feel proof later. Okay. Yeah. So just checking. But anyway, if you're using epoxy, uh, yeah, you can do yourself, uh, you know, make make things easier by kind of pre-fuel proofing before you join all those parts together. Um, but yeah, basically, like I said, anywhere the fuel could potentially touch it or exhaust residue. I'm talking landing gear area, that bottom of the fuselage area where everything kind of seems to collect and soak in. You want to make sure you get those things good and fuel proofed. And that's kind of one of the reasons too, when you cover, not just because of the, the air that's constantly hitting it, mm-hmm. why you want to do it to where you're overlapping your covering yeah. to where it's the, you're working from the back to the front of the airplane. Exactly. Otherwise, yep. your oils and stuff can very easily get through it if it's covered from front to back. That makes sense? Did yes. I say that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're talking about the seams, like wherever covering overlaps. Like your Monaco. You want yeah. that, that joint to face aft. Right. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Uh, so some of the tips I've uh, come across over the, over the years, um, like I said, you can fuel proof as you build. Uh, it's easier to get into tight spots you know, before they uh, are impossible to get to once they're assembled, um, use epoxy. If you're going to do the fuel proofing. Um, so di- that's your, that's your that's preferred my way. preferred method. You can do other ways, but epoxy yeah. works the best epoxy for you. Epoxy for me is the best. It seems to last. I don't know if it, if I would say that it lasts longer. It's just the airframe seems to last longer if I've used epoxy. Maybe it does a better job. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I use the cheap throwaway brushes, like you mentioned. And then, uh, yeah, thin whatever you plan to paint on your airframe um, so, so that the, so that whatever thinner you're using will evaporate off and leaving just the solids so you're not adding a lot of weight. When you're mixing the color with the epoxy, though, mm-hmm. you're actually mixing it in with the epoxy. Yep. And that yep. I've doesn't used, mess so with I've, anything I've either. done it a couple of times, uh, and black works great. Uh, and I've used the uh, the water-based artist's acrylic paint or whatever, yeah. just a few drops. It doesn't take much in there. Because it's water-based, it doesn't seem to interfere too much with the, with the properties of the epoxy. It cures just fine. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't go overboard with it, I think. You know, I think you can tint it with that, and I've had I've had no problems with that. In fact, the firewall and stuff that's on the little white airplane back here, that's exactly what I did. Hmm. Yeah, I just took white acrylic paint and mixed it in with my epoxy fuel proofer and painted it right on there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Now you know how so to fuel proof. That's fuel proofing. Maybe in a future episode we'll talk about an airframe maybe that is already past the point of fuel proofing and maybe what you can do to 
bring it back to life maybe. But that'll be another episode. Okay, well, now that you said that, we have to make a note somewhere <laughs> so we actually remember to do it. Yeah, because somebody out there will probably call us out on it. Mm-hmm. And which, that's okay. Which reminds me, um, I got a message on Facebook from uh, from a gentleman. If you remember a long time ago, we talked about the Sandpiper, and I said, well, we'll draw up the plans yeah, and, and do I, all that I do kind of stuff. That. Yeah, I forgot all about it, to be honest. Uh, he wanted to know where he could find the plans for it. Um, yeah, it's not done. Okay. So it, it will be done. I think next episode we might well, be talking about- it has about, to be done now because, you know, you just well, said that's it. why I said it, because it's <laughs> kind of holding my feet to the fire now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to make sure I get it done. Um, but it should be done and uploaded to the website next, uh, by next episode. And we should be able to probably talk about that. Okay. Um, we don't do a lot with foam, but maybe talk about profile foamies or something like that. So if anybody yeah. has tips or anything they want to talk about with building yeah. profile foamies, go ahead and uh, send yeah, them I'm in a, to us. I'm a complete novice when it comes to profile foamies, so anything I can learn from any of you listening would be would be awesome and welcome. Yeah, because, you know. I mean, the electric also. issues, you know, I'm, I've got you to lean on, but as far as like airframes and cool little tips and tricks for hooking up your control this surfaces and or whatever. whatever else. Yeah. yeah. Any tips you guys could share with me would be awesome. Because honestly, foam is fun. It really for is. I mean, it's purpose. Yeah, it really is. Like, you know, you've got 10 minutes this evening before you got to head off to a, you know, girls volleyball team game or whatever. <laughs> Random, but okay. <laughs> well, it's just on the top of my head because one of my coworkers is doing that. Oh, tonight. doing that. It's, okay. Uh, I wonder where um, that came from. Yeah. If you got 10 spare minutes, you know, foam is great because you can just throw a battery in it and go outside, in your case, right outside your back door, give it a toss, and you've got some flying done. And the heck, if you find simple enough plans, and the 10 sand- minutes is almost enough to put it together. <laughs> True. <laughs> and the sandpiper actually, for what it is, it flies pretty good. Yeah. It is a lot of fun, actually. It is. So, so that'll be next week. Okay. Or next, oh, next two weeks, next episode. Next episode. Um, well, actually, the next episode will be... What would be tomorrow's episode, right? The- oh, you're confusing me. Our next new episode <laughs> uh, will be that. Yes. yes. So, yep. all right, cool. Okay, cool. Um, that's all I got. Yeah, that's all I got too. Beat you so, to it. I, um, I'm finished. Okay, me too. All right. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Yep. Uh, until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Good night. Good night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.